good to be with you all here once again. Um, hope that you've been enjoying our study through the Old Testament. Um, so we took a little bit of a break last week. Uh, we had our, our crucifixion kind of Good Friday type service in place of our usual um, Wednesday night one. So that was kind of a, a fun change of pace. Uh, so tonight we're getting back into uh, the book of Joshua. So we're kind of coming down to the latter portions of the book now. Um, and it's, it's interesting to see the way God works through this. Um, so things are going to look a little bit different tonight. Um, instead of reading verse by verse through, you know, one or two chapters like we normally do, um, we're going to kind of summarize a bigger chunk of scripture. Uh, and the reason for this, um, Joshua chapters 13 through 19 deals with the allotment of the land of Israel to the different tribes of Israel. And there's uh, some great lessons, I think, for us in that. Um, but reading through it, it's a lot of names of tribes, of places, of geography that we're not so familiar with necessarily. Um, so we're going to kind of touch on a few high points there. Um, we're going to kind of look at a map here a couple times to kind of help visualize some of what's going on and talk a little bit about what God was doing here in this situation. So before we get into that, uh, we think about the significance of promises. Uh, what does a promise mean when we make that to another person? Uh, we think about how significant honesty and faithfulness is in our human relationships. Uh, the old saying that a man is only as good as his word. Um, that once trust has been lost, it's hard to regain. And in these chapters, we're going to see God show his faithfulness to his people, show his trustworthiness to fulfill his promises, to keep his word. And that's so much what the book of Joshua is about, um, is God showing his faithfulness to his people for his glory. Uh, and so the context for this um, we're going to step back a little bit and kind of talk about the big picture. But our focus point for tonight is that God keeps his promises and blesses his people. Um, so that's kind of the main theme we're building around here this evening. Um, but so again, to step back and kind of consider a little bit of the, the big picture of what's going on here. Uh, so the people of Israel have been led into the promised land by Joshua, their new leader. They've conquered most of the key strategic cities here. They've defeated a great number of kings and armies. They've captured a lot of walled cities. And they're sitting in a place where they're really seeing God fulfill his promises. And uh, these are promises that were not made hastily. These are promises that they've been waiting for, for a long time. And so we see all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, God first call a man called Abram to himself. God would later rename him Abraham. Uh, and God promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he says, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God called this man unto himself, not because of anything he'd done to deserve it. And God gives him this promise that he is going to be with Abraham, that he is going to bless those who honor Abraham. He's going to curse those who oppose Abraham. And through Abraham's offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Uh, We see God reaffirm this promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. Uh, that God makes a covenant with Abraham. And in Genesis 15, 18, he says, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmazites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, etc., etc. So God promises Abraham that he is going to have a mighty nation, that comes from his offspring, that they're going to be a blessing to the entire world. And then when Abraham is passing through the land of Canaan, he promises Abraham that he's going to give this specific area, this land to his offspring, his people that would come out of that. So God reaffirms this promise and specifies the land that he would give to Abraham. Now, Abraham, um, if you're familiar with this part of the Bible, um, was a wandering person, uh, that he spent his life kind of passing from place to place, moving his flocks, his herds, his servants, all this around. He didn't really have a home. And God promised him that he would have a home, that his people, his offspring, would have the land of Canaan as their home eventually. And they had to wait for God to fulfill that promise. We see God continue to reaffirm this promise to Abraham's son Isaac in Genesis chapter 26. He tells Isaac a similar message, that he's going to give him this land. That he's going to make his offspring a mighty people, a great nation. Uh, He does the same thing to Isaac's son Jacob. He meets with him in a dream and gives him this message that he is going to give their family, this land. And so we have these three generations of this wandering Bedouin-type lifestyle waiting on God to fulfill this promise that he has given, to raise up a mighty nation out of their family and to give them a land, a good land, specifically this land. And they're waiting on God to do that. And so we have this promise God has made And God affirmed the promise again and again and again. But then we see the people of Israel go down to dwell in Egypt through uh, the work of Joseph. We see them enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt. That They're waiting on God to fulfill this promise. And at this point, it probably doesn't look real hopeful for them. They spend 400 years in slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt waiting on God to fulfill this promise. And as they're waiting, God is still working behind the scenes. He's still preparing to make good on his word, uh, that he grows the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, into a large, mighty nation in the midst of their slavery in the land of Egypt. And then we see God send Moses to lead them out of Egypt into the wilderness, to bring them out of slavery, to help them make a new covenant with God and bring them into relationship with God as his special covenant people. 
as another step towards fulfilling this promise. Uh, So we see the exodus happen. God parts the Red Sea, leads his people to Mount Sinai, gives them the law, and then leads them from there to the promised land, to the land of Canaan that he had promised to give them. The people of Israel rebel against Moses and against God, and because of that, have to wait another 40 years while that rebellious generation dies off. And so they're still waiting on God to fulfill this promise, that they knew the promise. God had stated it quite clearly, had reaffirmed it numerous times, but they still hadn't experienced the fulfillment of that promise. And so Joshua has taken us from that wandering in the wilderness, the death of Moses, uh, the initiation of Joshua as the new leader. He's led them into the land. In these past few chapters we've been reading, they conquer the land and they have seen God make good on his promises. They've seen God fulfill his promises in a way that no previous generation had done. That God had made these promises hundreds of years before to people that they had no way of even knowing their ancestors. But God was faithful to his promises. Even though it took a long time, even though there were a lot of obstacles in between the giving of the promise and its fulfillment. Um, Even though the people of Israel were disobedient to God and rebelled against him and caused themselves delays in experiencing this promise, God was still faithful and he still carried out this promise and made good on his word. And so that's what we get to see here tonight. This is really a very exciting time for the nation of Israel that they have finally seen God give them this land. They had to follow him. They had to trust him. They had to fight for it. But God was making good on his word to the nation of Israel. And so tonight we're going to be looking in Joshua, starting in chapter 13. Joshua 13, verse 1. It says, Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains, all the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Geshurites, from the Shihor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron. It is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, and those of the Avim in the south, all the land of the Canaanites and the Mirah that belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites, and the land of the Gabalites, all Lebanon toward the sunrise from Baalgad below Mount Hermon to Lebohamath, all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Misrephoth Maim, even all the Sidonians, I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now, therefore, divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. So looking at this, we see that it's been some time that Israel spent several years fighting to take the land of Canaan. Uh, In these past few chapters we've read, we saw a long list of a lot of the cities and the kings they had defeated. Um, I was just talking with John before the service, that at this point Israel has captured pretty much all the key cities to control the central part of the land of Canaan. Um, The the land was dominated by these different city-states set in strategic areas, uh, 
pathways, roads, and passes through the mountains. And so the nation of Israel was going through and methodically capturing and conquering all these key areas so they could gain control of the land. And so when God tells Joshua that there remains very much land to possess, it's not that this promise hasn't been fulfilled, but that they're waiting to kind of take that next step in its fulfillment. Uh, They've conquered the key cities that they have strategic control of the land, but there's still a few pockets uh, where there's Canaanites left that still have to be defeated, that they still have to go in and actually conquer some of these different areas. And so they're waiting to do that, but God tells Joshua at this point that, you know, it's coming down to the end here. He doesn't have a lot of time left, and they need to divide up the land between the different tribes of Israel to decide who gets to dwell where, that they can have their assigned region for each tribe, for each family group in this new land that God had given them. And so he talks a little bit about what that looks like here, um, that they're um, to allot this land. He talks a little bit later about what that process looks like. But each tribe was given their inheritance, a different portion of this, that they were to go in, they were to dwell in, that they were to drive out any remaining Canaanites. And that's where they were to live life. That's where they were to set up their dwelling and really see this promise fulfilled. And so he talks um, here at the end in verse 7 that he talks about the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh that are given this. Um, And so we've got the the different, the 12 tribes of Israel. A few of the tribes had already been given their inheritance on the other side of the Jordan River. And so that's what we're going to talk about here um, in just a moment. So Joshua chapter 13, verse 8. says, With the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses gave them, beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses the servant of the Lord gave them. From Arar, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and the city that is in the middle of the valley, and all the tableland of Medeba, as far as Debon, and all the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the boundary of the Ammonites, and Gilead, and the region of the Geshurites and Machathites, and all Mount Hermon, and all Bashan to Seleka, and all the kingdom of Og and Bashan, who reign in Ashtaroth and in Idrai. He alone was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. These Moses had struck and driven out, yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Machathites, but Geshur and Machath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. To the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to them. And so the initial land of Canaan that God had promised to Israel didn't include some of this land we're seeing here. So this map isn't quite as big as I was hoping it would be up here. Um, but what you can see on the map there, so we've got uh, the land of Israel, kind of the central part. Uh, we've got the Sea of Galilee kind of up there in the center top, and then we've got the Dead Sea down towards the bottom, and the Jordan River connects those two. And so the area to the east of the Jordan River was not initially considered part of that promised land. Uh, But when Moses and the people of Israel were traveling along, they ended up going into battle against the kings who ruled that area and defeating them. And a couple of the tribes 
saw this area and they said, hey, this is, this is all right. Can we just have this be our part here? Like, we like this. We, you know, we'd like to settle here. And so Joshua seeks God on that. And uh, he allows them to take that and kind of add that on to the territory that God had already promised them. And so that's where we see in these verses talking about the other nine and a half tribes that still are waiting on their inheritance. That's not counting those guys over there on the eastern side who had already received that. Um, that half the tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites, and the Gadites had already got their inheritance on that other side of the river. And so this map kind of lays out, you can see um, the names of the different tribes of Israel in blue there. Um, and there's some dotted lines kind of drawing the boundaries of what they were allotted, the portion of land that they were given. Um, and so most of these chapters here we're looking at tonight read kind of like that section I just read. It gives the name of one of the tribes, one of the family groups of Israel, and then it talks about the borders of the land that they had. Um, and so you can see the different points on the map. They're very, very small for you guys sitting out there. Um, but just the different landmarks, the different cities, and all that. Um, so it's interesting to see just kind of a, a visual format of what that all looks like, of the land that God had given these people. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit more about kind of the significance of that as we get farther into this. So at this point, we're going to skip ahead to Joshua chapter 14. So Joshua 14, verses 1 and 2, says, These are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. Their inheritance was by lot, just as the Lord had commanded, by the hand of Moses, for the nine and one-half tribes. For Moses had given an inheritance to the two and one-half tribes beyond the Jordan, but to the Levites he gave no inheritance among them. And so he talks again about how that one group had already received their land, and then the Levites don't get any land. Uh, we saw that in our earlier studies through Leviticus and Numbers, that the Levites were not given a portion of land because their job was to serve God in the temple, in the tabernacle. And so their portion, instead of getting the land, they got to take a portion of all the sacrifices that were brought to God, that that was their inheritance. That was how they lived. They weren't to have land or raise crops or have flocks and herds that they were wholly dependent upon God in their service of his worship. And so we see in these chapters here he introduces that he's now breaking out the allotment of land for all the tribes who live west of the Jordan River on that map we just saw, kind of the majority portion of the land of Israel. And so he talks about what that looks like, kind of the, the different ways they're doing that. They were to cast lots for this um, and that God would direct this and give the people the portions of land he desired for each different tribe. And so continuing on in Joshua 14, we get down to verse 6. And so this is kind of a, a little side story here from the division of the land, um, but a pretty interesting one. So Joshua 14, verse 6. It says, then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, 
You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kanesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God, and Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. What an interesting guy. Uh, so we see a little bit here the story of Caleb. So again, to back up a little bit to where we were in this past few months. So the people of Israel are led out of Egypt to Mount Sinai, God gives them the law, leads them to the promised land. They get there, they send spies into the promised land, into Canaan, to scout it out, to get ready to go conquer it. Uh, these men were supposed to be leaders, preparing to lead the nation of Israel into battle to conquer the nation. They see the fortified cities, they see how many people there are, they see the giants, and they come back and turn the rest of the people against Moses and against God in rebellion because they're afraid of taking hold of the promise that God had given them, that they're not willing to step out and to trust God to be faithful on that promise. The exceptions to this, so each tribe sent one spy, Joshua and Caleb were the spies for their tribes, and they were the only two out of the 12 that trusted God and believed that God would be able to give them the victory, to give them the land that he had promised them. And so because of their disobedience, the ten rebellious spies, as well as the rest of their generation, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, these two guys, they all die while Israel wanders in the wilderness for 40 years. And so Joshua and Caleb are the only two out of that entire generation that get the privilege of actually entering into the land of Canaan and taking part in the conquest. And so Caleb is kind of laying out the history here. He was already 40 the first time they were getting ready to conquer the land. And then he had to go and wait another 40 years for the rest of his generation to die. And then he could actually go in and take the land that God was going to give them. And so he's been part of this conquest already. That these past several years, he's been fighting against the Canaanites, conquering the land. And he goes and he tells Joshua when they get to this point, that he's ready for more, that he's 85 years old, and he says he wants to keep fighting. He wants to keep striving forward, seeking the promises that God has given them. And so he requests this portion of this hill country and the central part of Israel. And this is a very rugged area. It's a very difficult area to traverse, to move troops and um, equipment around. And he's going in and he's saying that he's ready to go fight, that he's ready to fight with their enemies there for God. 
He says in verse 12, it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. That Caleb was trusting in God to fulfill these promises. That he had seen God's faithfulness over and over through all the ups and downs. That he'd waited a long time to see God fulfill this promise. And he was excited to see God do more of that. In verse 13, we see Joshua's response. It says, Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. And the land had rest from war. So Caleb trusted God. He completely followed God. It says in this verse that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And because of that, God blessed him. God gave him this inheritance and blessed him with the ability to continue fighting for it. Um, What a great attitude Caleb has. Uh, That I think after a lot of waiting, after a lot of battles, a lot of difficulty, a lot of trials. Uh, Many of us would reach a point of blessing and be willing to take a step back and say, you know, this is good. I'm ready to kind of sit back and just revel in the blessing that God is offering me here. And Caleb was not that guy. He wanted to keep fighting. He wanted to keep moving forward, to keep seeing God work, and to keep acting on the faith that he had in God. I think that's a great message for us to remember, um, that we don't want to settle in our spiritual lives. We don't want to just sit back and enjoy the good things that God has given us. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but we want to keep striving forward. We want to keep seeking to see God work and looking for where he might use us for his glory and to be a blessing to those around us. Joshua chapter 15 uh, talks about the division of the land for the tribe of Judah. Um, Judah is interesting. Uh, When we look at the 12 tribes of Israel, we see God prophesying that the one who would reign over Israel would come from Judah, that Judah was the tribe that the king was going to come from, and that eventually the Messiah was going to come from. And so they're given a prominent role as they divide up the land here. Um, And so we see just the different boundaries that are given for that. Um, We see what God is doing there. And so if we skip ahead right to the very end of Joshua chapter 15, in verse 63, talks about all the different areas that they, they had, the cities that they were dwelling in. And then it says in verse 63 that the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, could not drive out. So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Jerusalem, if we spent much time in the scriptures, we know has a significant place for the nation of Israel, for the people of God. Uh, that we see Jerusalem 
um, often being associated with God and with his people. We see um, in the book of Revelation, God is promised to remake a new Jerusalem, the holy city, uh, where people will dwell with him. Uh, that Jerusalem is a special place that God had a special plan for. But at this point in time, the men of Judah were unable to conquer Jerusalem and take it from the Jebusites. And so even though Jerusalem had a special place in God's plan, was somewhere that was to be associated with God and with his people, that it wasn't there yet, that it wasn't ready yet. And I think it kind of paints really a neat picture for us of what God can do. That at this point in time, Jerusalem was still conquered, still dwelt in by the Jebusites. That these people were sinful. They were marked by their sin, by their opposition to God and to his people. But God had a plan for this city. And he was going to be faithful to fulfill that plan, to bring it to where it needed to be. That God is able to redeem anything and anyone for his purposes. Uh, we saw that earlier in the beginning of Joshua, uh, that God was able to bring Rahab out of the sinful city of Jericho to help incorporate her into the nation of Israel and eventually give her a place in the lineage of Jesus. That God is able to do anything with anyone he chooses. And that Jerusalem, that would become the great holy city, started out as a simple hill city in Canaan and dwelt by a sinful people who did not even know God. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That we can trust God to bring about the end result he desires in our lives and in the lives of those around us, just as he did with the city of Jerusalem. And it might not happen as quickly as we'd like it to happen. There might be some bumps along the way. And it might not even seem like we can imagine God fulfilling the purpose he has, using something or someone for good. But we have to remember who it is that we serve, that the God we follow can do anything and will be faithful to fulfill his promises. Joshua chapter 16 lays out the division of the land for Ephraim and for Manasseh, two of the tribes. Um, just talks about what they're given, the different areas uh, we saw on that map. We'll go back to that one in a few minutes there. Uh, and then in chapter 17, we see a continuation of this. Again, with kind of an interesting side note on what's going on behind the scenes. So Joshua chapter 17, verse 3, says, Now Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Tirzah. They appeared, they approached Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the leaders and said, the Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance along with our brothers. So according to the mouth of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among the brothers of their father. 
Thus there fell to Manasseh ten portions besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which is on the other side of the Jordan, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance along with his sons. The land of Gilead was allotted to the rest of the people of Manasseh. So within the tribe of Manasseh, they talk about this one kind of leader of a clan, Zelophehad. He didn't have any sons. And so as they're dividing up the land, they're going through the male heirs in each family. It's kind of how they divide it, you know, they split it up by the, the tw- 12 tribes were the sons of Jacob. And then their sons, you know, would have been the different clans, the different family groups that are divided there. And so there's just one guy, Zelophehad, he doesn't have any sons, no male heirs to identify with this group and to give that inheritance to. And that was the common way of doing things in this culture, in the world at this point in time. Uh, That the male heir in the family was to receive the inheritance. And he was the one who would divvy it up from there and decide what happened. Generally, in most cultures, the oldest son was also given a greater portion, was shown more honor. And so in the case of Zelophehad, he only had daughters in his family. And so earlier on, uh, we saw in our study in the book of Numbers in chapter 27, that these women, the daughters of Zelophehad, approach the leaders and they say, hey, you know, we were in kind of a weird situation here. We don't have a male heir in our family to receive the inheritance, to receive the land and the blessing that God wants to give our family. What do we do here? And so Joshua and God had told them that they were to be given an inheritance along with their brothers, um, that they were to be given an equal share as they're dividing up the land, even though there was no male heir to receive that. And so we see as we read this, God, again, being faithful to a promise. That at some time back, uh, they actually initially approached Moses, we see in verse 4 about this, um, that Moses had promised that they would receive this. Um, That Joshua was being faithful to the promise God had given through Moses some time before, some years back. That God was being faithful to his promise to these women. Like another interesting thing to note here is that God is giving an equal right to this inheritance to the women of this family. That's a great picture of what God has done through the work of Christ. Galatians 3.28 tells us, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And in this culture, at this point in time, that was a big deal, um, that women were often seen as lesser, and that they were often subjugated in different ways, that women without husbands, without children to care for them, were left to fend for themselves and to survive in terrible ways. And God is saying right here that they are valuable, that they receive an equal inheritance as my children, and that God has done the same thing with his gift of salvation to the world, that he does not differentiate between men and women, between different people groups, between different economic statuses, that we are all one in our inheritance 
through Christ, that we all receive the same gift of salvation, that we are all blessed in that same way, and that God sees us all equally and loves us the same, that we are all equal in his eyes because of the work Christ has done. Towards the end of verse, or verse chapter 17, in verse 14, uh, we see kind of another situation arise here. Uh, so Joshua 17, 14 says, Then the people of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given me but one lot and one portion as an inheritance, although I am a numerous people, since all along the Lord has blessed me? And Joshua said to them, If you are a numerous people, go up by yourselves to the forest, and there clear ground for yourselves in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaim, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. The people of Joseph said, The hill country is not enough for us, yet all the Canaanites who dwell on the plain have chariots of iron, both those in Bethshan and its villages, and those in the valley of Jezreel. Then Joshua said to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, You are a numerous people and have great power. You shall not have one allotment only, but the hill country shall be yours. For, through, for though it is a forest, you shall clear it and possess it to its farthest borders. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have chariots of iron, and though they are strong. And so we see this one group, some of the descendants of Joseph, uh, part of the tribe of either Ephraim or Manasseh. And they say, hey, this land you've given us is not enough space. We have a lot of people. We want more. So Joshua tells them that they can go clear space in the forest and in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaim. He's saying, take this land. And they respond that they are not ready, that this is too much for them to take on. Um, They said, the hill country is not enough for us. All the Canaanites who dwell on the plain have chariots of iron. They're saying that this people group is going to be hard for us to deal with. And so we see them being held back from taking hold of these promises because of their fear. That they've seen God give them victory after victory after victory. They've seen God's faithfulness over and over again. But their fear of their enemies and of the unknown is keeping them from really truly experiencing that blessing of having that greater space and area to dwell in, to spread out, and to be successful, to be blessed. That they're being held back because they are afraid. And it's amazing how often fear can hold us back in our own lives. That most of us have seen and experienced the faithfulness of God in various ways through our lives. That we've seen God work in and around us. That we've seen God bring us through adversity and difficulties. But sometimes that fear still holds us back, still steers us different directions, still keeps us from really taking hold of what God desires to give to us. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God has given us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That as we go through life, when we're tempted to fear, 
that we need to remember what God has done for us in the past and remember that God is with us, that God has given us a spirit of power and love and self-control, that God will empower us and guide us and give us that victory, to give us that success because he is with us. So as we go through life, let's be careful to not get distracted by fear. Joshua chapter 18 talks about the remaining land that they're dividing up. Uh, In 18 verse 1, it says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The land lay subdued before them. There remained among the people of Israel seven tribes whose inheritance had not yet been apportioned. So Joshua said to the people of Israel, How long will you put off going in to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? Provide three men from each tribe, and I will send them out that they may set out and go up and down the land. They should write a description of it with a view to their inheritances and then come to me. And so Joshua lays out what they're going to do. There's still a few areas here that they haven't explored in detail. So he commissions these tribes to do a very similar action to what they did with the nation as a whole. They're to commission a few scouts to go check out the area and see how they think that they should divide it up. Now if we skip ahead in chapter 18 to verse 13, he's giving um, the borders of the land that is going to be given to the tribe of Benjamin. And in Joshua 18, 13, he says, From there, the boundary passes along southward in the direction of Luz, to the shoulder of Luz, that is Bethel. And then the boundary goes down to Adaroth-Adar on the mountain that lies south of lower Beth Horon. And so this verse here lays out just a few of those different markers, the cities and the landmarks that were part of the boundary for the land given to the, nation, or to the tribe of Benjamin. When we pull this map back up here again, uh, we look at that and we can see in the top left-hand corner there, there's a picture of somebody standing pointing out at a hill. That hill is the mountain referred to in verse 13. It says, on the mountain that lies south of lower Beth Haran. And so it's actually marked on the map. You guys probably can't see it. It's a little tiny triangle down there where Ephraim, Dan, and Benjamin all come together. But they actually know where that mountain is. And as we look at these lists of names and of places, and then we see a map like this, it's amazing how much correlation there is to what we have recorded in the scriptures. Uh, That it's pretty incredible that you can look at maps, you can go to Israel today, and you can see the known locations of many, many, many of these cities, of many of these landmarks, of these different places that are referred to here in great detail in God's word. And we're reminded when we look at this that these are real stories. These are real people. These are real events that really happened in a real place. Uh, That this is not like reading about Middle Earth or Narnia where there's 
made up names and maps of places that nobody's actually ever been to. That these were real events that happened with real people in real places. And that's one of the great things that separates Christianity from other religions. That when we read through the scriptures, that we can know that these things happened. That there's historical evidence for this. That there's geographic evidence for this. That that's one way that our faith can be strengthened. That we know that this happened and that God has done these things. Um, that he's calling us to trust in him. To trust in a God who has shown himself to the world, who has made his work evident all around us, and that he has called us to trust in him. And he gives us good reason for that. Um, Hebrews 6.19 talks about the hope we have in God being an anchor for our souls, uh, that that hope holds us fast in the storms of life, keeps us from drifting away from God and from what we know. And in many ways, um, God calls us to trust him. And he gives us good reason for that, that he builds our faith and helps us to be anchored to him in that. And so when we experience doubts, the different things that can help us to wonder and to question what God is doing, we can remember that there is great evidence we have to trust in God and to trust in his word. Um, that God has not left us just wandering blindly in the dark, searching for him. That he has spoken to us and evidenced himself to the world. Joshua chapter 19 uh, breaks down the inheritance for the last few tribes, Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, Dan, and a little bit for Joshua as the leader of the people too. And then in Joshua 19, verse 51, he says, These are the inheritances that Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel distributed by Lot at Shiloh before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So they finished dividing the land. And so at this point... They finished splitting up the land. There's a few details left to be laid out as we wrap up the book of Joshua these next few weeks. But we see God has fulfilled so much of his promise to the people of Israel. That God had given a promise and he had made good on it. It took time. It took faith. It took trust on the part of the people of Israel. But they were able to see and experience God's faithfulness in a way that no one had before them. And for us, as we go through life, we will face fears like the people of Israel did. We will face doubts. We will face hardships. And oftentimes, we will have to wait on God to act, to wait on God to fulfill his promises. And when we're in those times of waiting and doubt and temptation and fear, we can remember what God has done for us and for his people, what God has told us in his word. 
that God has promised good to us. And we can know that he will make good on those promises because of who he is. Uh, One of the, the cool things about the book of Joshua as we study it, is that uh, Joshua's name means Yahweh is salvation. That Joshua, the leader of the people, the one who this book is named after, his name points people to God, that God is salvation, that God is the one that we are waiting on, that we are trusting in, that we are seeking. And so for our New Testament connection tonight, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So that's the promise that God has given us through the work of Jesus Christ, that we can trust in his ability to give us that imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance. And through all the trials that we face, the ups and downs of life, let's hold fast to that promise, knowing that God will be faithful to bring us to its fulfillment in his perfect timing. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time. I thank you for your faithfulness, God. I thank you uh, that you were faithful to the nation of Israel, Lord, that you were faithful to the promises you made over the course of hundreds, even thousands of years, God, and that we can know because of that that you will be faithful to us. I pray that you would help us to grow in that trust of you and your faithfulness, Lord. Um, As the storms of life come, that we could hold fast to that promise, knowing that you will finish the good work, Lord, that you will bring us safely home to you that you will carry us through whatever may come, and that you will be glorified. I ask all these things in Jesus' name.